the middle of the Bible is the Psalms, and then one book to the left is Job. Just to give some background while you're turning there, we're kind of jumping right to the end of Job, but what happens is that God actually brings up Job to Satan, and he says, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him in all the earth. And Satan says, well, the only reason Job serves you is because of all the good things you've given to him. And God lets Satan take away his family, his kids die, all of his possessions are stolen, or um, his servants even are killed by raiders. There's some storms, knocks down the house. Then he loses his health, and so he's covered from head to foot in painful sores. Then, if that's not enough, his friends come to him. And what his friends tell him is, Job, you know all these things that happen to you, it's because you're a sinner. God wouldn't do this to someone who's righteous. And Job says, no, I, I sought to look out for those who were weak and to provide for them and to help them. And they're saying, no, you must have wronged people. And he said, no, I did all I could. I went out searching to help people. And Job is despairing in this trial. And he's crying out to God for an answer. And after all of his friends are accusing him of wrong, he he actually says, God, is this even right that you're doing this? And And God actually ends up answering Job. And so this is where we're jumping in, is that God, the God of the universe, actually speaks audibly to Job and his friends. And that's where we're at, verse... 1 of chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I relayed the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors, when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no further, and here shall your proud ways be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Verse 19. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory? And that you may discern the path to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? Which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain, and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on the land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass? Has the rain a father, or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth, and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like a stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead the Maseroth in their season, or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of heaven? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning that they may go? and say, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clouds stick fast together? 
Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? And then skip to chapter 40. Job continues, basically, or God continues questioning Job that whole, whole next chapter. And then verse 1 of chapter 40. Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Job then answers. The Lord, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? And then he goes on again for another a whole, another chapter asking Job more questions. So to start off by way of introduction, I'll ask you this question. After all Job's suffering and Job's cry to God, he's still crying to God. He didn't curse God like his wife asked him to do. He's still crying out to God. How would you expect a loving and wise God to answer his favorite person on the earth. That's what he said. He said, there's no one like Job. How would you expect him to answer? And for me, I, I, did not, I would not expect him to answer like this at all. And the reality is, is that we should not get to the place where we think we can predict what God's going to do. He's God, right? And so if you tried to write a book that on every page denied what you think is going to happen, you could not do it as well as the Bible. Because every time you feel like you've gotten a grasp on who God is, there's more and there's more. And he's always doing things you don't expect because he's God. And so what does it mean when we see something and it is just defies our expectations, blows us away? Well, it means there's something about God we haven't grasped. There's something we're missing still, something more to learn, some more comfort to take. You know, this is actually, this is a rebuke and it's a message of comfort to Job. This is what a loving God would say, and this is what he says. And it's a surprising message. It's a surprising comfort that God gives Job. So listen close. Think about this. If this surprises you just like it surprised me, then there's something we need to see and learn from this about God. So what? Why did God answer like this? He questioned Job for a a long time. This is the longest questioning in the Bible. God's asking, one person said that they counted 66 questions. So that's, that's a lot of questions for God to be asking you. And are they easy questions? No, they're hard questions. They're questions that we can't even understand. So what's the content? To understand why God said this, we have to understand the content of God's message. So that's the first thing we're going to look at. What's the content of God's message? Here's the, here's the first thing. God is saying this, man is limited. And he's saying it in many ways. But the first thing he's saying is, man is limited in his existence. Then next he says, man is limited in his knowledge and his wisdom. Then he says, man is limited in his control and and the power that he has. Man is limited in his purpose. And man is limited in his foresight. And we're going to go through all those briefly. For man is limited in his existence. Look at verse 4 in chapter 38. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? The answer is, I did not exist, God. I didn't exist. And actually, God, I just began to exist a few years ago. Maybe 50 years, 60 years ago, I began to exist. And God's saying, and you're questioning me? Do you realize how long? I'm eternal. And you have existed for 50 years, but you know how to run the world? It's unbelievable. There's no question. God is God. Look at verse 21. You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. God is reminding us, do you realize that we have just began to begin to live? We are so limited. The oldest person in this room is a blip on the radar of history. We know so little. That's the next thing. God says that man is limited in his knowledge and his wisdom. And he says this in so many places, but I'll just point out a few. Verse 6, on what were its bases sunk? 
of the earth. He's asking, who laid its cornerstone? You know, we don't even really know what's in the core of the earth. There, people have theories, but we don't know. We can't get down there. Do you know how God hung the world on nothing and that it circles the sun? No. We don't understand it. We are men, and God is God. Look at uh, verse 18. Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Do you, could you tell me how many feet around the earth is? Do you, I heard a statistic about at some point in the earth's history, there was more, um, basically, matter added to it. And the, t- the statistic was crazy. It was something like, for every meter of the earth's surface, a hundred tons of of uh, rock was added through these natural processes, and it just blew my mind. A hundred tons of rock per meter, and I just thought, can that even be right? And then I started thinking, how big is the Earth down? I mean, it's huge. I never would have thought how how far down the rock goes. It's unbelievable. It's something I couldn't comprehend. I couldn't. I certainly couldn't say that statistic was wrong because I can't comprehend the expanse of the earth. I'm a man. That's what God is asking Job. Look at verse 36. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? If you had to run your body, you couldn't. You could not do it. You don't know what your appendix is for. You have no idea. Think about all the organs in your body. I bet b- between all of us, we couldn't name all of them if John Barry didn't help. <laughs> you don't even know your organs. How could you run your body? Can you? There's so many things. Just the fact that when you swallow, the muscles in your throat are contracting in a wave to bring that food down. It's like, if I had to do that, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I can't control my body. And yet God is so wise that He put wisdom in the inward parts. In many ways, your body knows better than you in some of the things. I would never think, oh, I need to heat my body. I'm feeling sick, so I'm going to heat my body up. I would never think to do that. But God gave my body wisdom that I don't have. What about our control and our power? We're limited. We're desperately limited. Look at verse 11. God said to the seas, Thus far shall you come and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. What would happen to you if you went out to the water and you said, Stop right there? Nothing. I mean, not, the water would come up right to your feet. That's exactly what happened. We, we can't control the ocean. Look at verse 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? This is unbelievable. When was the last time you woke up and said, Son, I command you to rise? Never. You can't do it. You're totally, you're totally dependent on God. You have so little control. And what amazes me is that God gives all these examples from nature. And what is God telling us from the world around us? He's telling us you are a limited, small being. You're a man. If you just look around... I mean, you cannot even look at the sun, let alone command the sun. How humbling is that? Men walk around proud, and then, and then what? The sun that's shining down on them all the time, they can't even look at it. That's unbelievable. And it's, it's 93 million miles away, and we can't look at it. The whole world is declaring to us, we're limited, we're small. We, we are limited in our existence, our knowledge, our control, our power. Can, look at verse 34. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of water may cover you? Can you send forth lightning and that they may go and say to you, here we are? You can't make it rain. You can't command the lightning where to go. God has made man so small that if he has any sense of reality all the time, we should see, I am so weak and limited. I have so, there's so little that I know. There's so little that I can control. And I'm so thankful that God made us this way. Think about this. What if man could command the lightning? Do you realize how proud we are when we're so small? Imagine if God gave man a thousand times more power than he has and men could walk around and if they felt like it, command the lightning where to strike. We would be monsters. We would be. 
It would be horrible because right now we're desperately, utterly dependent on God to send rain. We're dependent on God to make the sun rise. And yet somehow we still feel like I know a lot and I'm in control and I should be in control. When it's so clear we're not. And if God made the world this way, it's to remind us we're limited men. We're limited. We're limited in our knowledge. Limited in our control and in our power. Limited in our purpose. Look at verse 25. Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on the land where no man is and on the desert where there is no man? You know, God has given you a purpose, but it's a limited purpose. Your purpose is not to care for the whole world. Because you can't do it. You couldn't, if, it, if your purpose was to care, care for the whole world, you could not do it. You couldn't command the rain where to go. You wouldn't know that in some distant desert there needs to be rain so many times a year to give this little flower that you can't even see the seed under the soil uh, time to bloom and to spread its seed for, to wait for another 25 years to get another rain. You couldn't do it. We've got to remember our limited purpose uh, again, verse 36 says, Who has given understanding to the mind? Who has given wisdom and put wisdom in the inward parts? Your purpose is limited. Your purpose is very limited. Your purpose is not to give understanding to everyone's mind. To every, you could not teach the spider to, to make a web, let alone teach your kids to reason and to walk and to crawl. I mean, it's unbelievable the things God has taught animals and and men we couldn't do it we're limited verse 39 can you hunt pray for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions good luck you know you're not going to be able to do it you're not going to be able to feed the lion you'd spend your whole life trying to feed the lions you'd use you yourself would starve you know the reality is is that we're limited God has made you for some things, but He hasn't made you for everything. We've got to remember this. And foresight. We have limited foresight. We can't know the future. Verse 22. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? You know, God is actually knows the future and He's doing things, preparing things for the time of need. He's, he's saving up rain for the time it needs to come. He's saving up snow and hail for the, the day it needs to be. He knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. We don't, and you don't, and you never will. You're never going to know the future like God knows the future. It's very, very rare that God gives any glimpse of the future at all. And what He does to men is so limited. So this is the content of God's message. God, God is t- telling Job, do not forget who you are. Don't be confused about who you are, Job. You're a man. You just began to exist. You know some things, but you don't, you don't know everything. You have some power and some control, but very little. You have a purpose, but your purpose is not to run the world. You... Maybe you could plan ahead, but you can't know the future. And so he's reminding Job that he's a man, a limited small man. And he's also, in doing so, reminding him that God is an infinite God. God is infinite in existence. God is infinite. He's everywhere. He fills the whole universe and more. God has never had a beginning and will never have an end. God is infinite in knowledge and wisdom. God is the one that runs the world. God is the one that makes the sun shine. God is the one that commands the lightning bolt where to strike. God is the one who has the purpose of running everything that is and feeding every living thing. God has the foresight. God knows all the future. God knows everything that's going to ever happen. The tiniest molecule a million years from now, God knows what it's going to be doing and where it's going to be at exactly. God is God and we are men. And that's what God is reminding Job. Creation declares it and God is just reminding him, you're a man. You walk, you're walking on the earth. You're not 
You're not soaring above the clouds looking down on everything. You are walking on the dirt, Job. You're a man. And why is he saying this? This is the one thing Job did in the end was he started to question God. And you can see that in at chapter 40, what we read. He said, shall fault finder, 40 verse 2, shall fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who, he who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? You see, Job began to think, God is wrong here. I could run the world better. And God said, no, you couldn't. Don't forget who you are. And so when he says, dress for action like a man, what can a man answer God? I mean, it's almost like it's sarcasm. Can a man answer these questions? A man at his best could never answer these questions. So when, jo- when God says to Job, dress for action like a man, he's reminding him, you're a man. You are a man. You're limited. And I am God. Don't forget who you are and don't forget who I am. So that's the content of God's message. So what's the goal? What's the goal of his message? This is the second thing we need to understand. The goal is humility. God uses this line of questioning to humble Job. You know, the word humility comes from the Latin word humus, just means dirt. Dirt. We're dirt, we're dirtly. We need, we need to remember that we spend our whole lives walking on the dirt. We're made of dirt. We're not an angel. We're not God. We are creatures. You know, the word lowly in Hebrew or humble means him that is of low eyes. You know, there are things that, we, that are too, be, that too high for us, beyond us. Because we're men. We're not God. And that's what God is restoring Job. He's restoring his humility. Job's cry was, I'm innocent. Right? That's what he was saying. But God didn't actually bring up any sins. He didn't accuse Job of any sin. He just reminded him, you're a man. So we see that one thing that we can see from this is that humility doesn't necessarily come from being a sinner. If you were a sinless man like Adam and Eve or Jesus, Jesus was a man. There's a reason for humility simply in the fact that you are a creature and God is God. That's enough. Even if you had never sinned in your whole life, you have reason to humble yourself before God as a creature. Another thing, humility doesn't necessarily come from looking at other men. There's this, there's this wrong idea that if you want to be humble, it's a man-to-man. Humility is man-to-man. Well, there is some humility that's man-to-man, but it has to start with man-to-God humility. That true humility starts with bowing before God as a creature. We are created. We are limited. And God is God. And that's what, where humility comes from in this situation with Job. You know, there's been people in the past that have taken this man-to-man humility and made it the number one. And what ends up happening is you end up comparing yourself to people all the time and you end up not being humble at all. All you have to do is look up to God and there's no comparison. You know, if you want to humble yourself, don't start looking around at other people. Look, Look at God. Another thing is to notice is that it wasn't his circumstances that humbled Job. You can have terrible trials and still fail to learn humility if you don't look up to God and look up and see the God who is in control. So what's the answer to the question? You know, how, why, why, why would God do this? It's surprising. Why did God answer this way? Well, the answer is, that God answered Job so strongly because Job almost lost his last and his greatest comfort. And that is God's nearness and his ability to trust him. So if you come into a trial like Job and you lose sight that God is God and you start believing a lie that you know what's best, you're going to lose your greatest comfort that God's in control and that God knows. So part, the first part of the answer is, we must see God as He is. That's why God said this to Job, because without seeing God as He is, there's not going to be any comfort in your trial. 
If you, in your trial, demote God to this little God who doesn't really know what's best for you, doesn't really know what's going on, a God who makes mistakes, a God who's unjust, then there's no possibility of comfort in that God. Because you've decided in your mind that he's messed up already. Are you going to run to the God who's unjust, the God who doesn't really know what's best for you during a trial? There's no comfort in that God. But that God doesn't exist. The, the, the God that exists, God is reminding Job, the God who exists does know all things. He's always just. He never makes mistakes. And if you lose sight of that, there is no comfort in trial. You've got to trust God and you've got to remember, God is God. Or there will no, be no comfort in trial. So though this seemed harsh at first glance, this was so loving to Job. Because Job was his step, his foot was about to slip. He was about to lose his last comfort, which is God Himself, and he was about to lose lose the nearness of God. Because the second part is that we have to see ourselves as we are, as men. If in a trial we lose sight of us being a finite man, we become proud, and God opposes the proud. If in a trial you start to believe that you know how God should run the world and how God should be doing things, it would be better if God did this, then you're losing the possibility again of the nearness of God and the comfort of God by elevating yourself. You're elevating yourself to the place where you can't find comfort in God because you know better than God. So, God answered Job in such a loving way he saw that Job was about to lose the greatest comfort that he had, the, the reality that God's still God, and that you don't know everything. You don't know where this is going. You don't know why I'm doing this. You don't even know what's best for you today. And he restored it to Job. He restored jo- Job's greatest comfort. Job humbled himself before God, and he said, God, I was wrong. I was wrong. I cannot question you. You are God and I'm just a man. And when he humbled himself, he could come again to find comfort in God. Not question, he, just, he didn't question God at the end. He said, I was wrong and I repent. He, he changed his mind. We've got to have both these things. We've got to have the view of God being God, and we've got to have a view of us being man. We've got to have both. Because if you just had one, true humility is both. If you just had one, if you just had a real sense, I'm not in control, I I don't know hardly anything, I'm just finite, I can't foresee the future, I can't control these circumstances, and that's all you knew, you'd be despairing. Because there's no... There's no view of who God is, that there is a God who does know. There is a God who does foresee. If you just saw the littleness of yourself and you didn't see the good God, there's no comfort there. On the other hand, if you have a high view of God, it seems like Job did, but you don't have humility in yourself, you start to creep up and you see God up here and then you start to see yourself a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher, and you end up losing your comfort like Job did. We've got to have both. We've got to see ourselves as men and see ourselves in relation to an infinite God. Then we can have comfort in our trial. Even the deepest trial, even the hardest trial. This was desperately, desperately hard trial. But to lose sight of God was about to lose all comfort for Job. So let's apply it to us. So these, here's the thing. These are all things about Job, and these are general truths, but what about us, right? The goal is to apply it to our lives. Is there, are there areas in our life where we are acting like this? Maybe it's not in a trial. Maybe we're not questioning God in the same way, but we have a shade of this same problem of losing sight of who we are. We're confused about who we are. We're confused about who God is. Let me ask you this. If you're here this morning and you're lost, you've got sin in your life, you're acting like this. You're acting like God's not God. There's people, I'm certain, there's people here that right now are hiding sin like God doesn't know. God knows. You can't hide God. You can't go into your room and close the door and God's not there. You're fooling yourself. If you're hiding sin today and you you even have an idea in your mind that, oh, I know God knows. No, you don't realize. 
This is God talking to a person that was the most righteous man on the earth. Can you imagine standing before God on judgment day knowing that, I mean, he, Job said, I have a clean conscience. Can you imagine standing before God with a conscience that said, my whole life I went on living in sin, knowing I was going to answer to you, God, but just going ahead in it. Not if you see the real God. Not if you know who He really is. Not if you know that you're just a small, small man. Some people here, I'm sure, believe that they can run their life better than God. And that's the way they're living. They really think, yeah, God says this in His Word, but you know, I started existing about 30 years ago and I know better than the infinite God by this time. That's scary. It's scary to think that. But that's the way people live. People know in their heart, this is wrong. God forbade this. God said I shouldn't have this attitude. God said I shouldn't be doing this. But I know better than God. Or some people, I've heard people say, I'll answer to God. You know, I'm ready to face Him. No, you're not. You're not. Not if you've seen what He's really like. Not if you know that He hates sin. We've got to live with this reality that God is God and you are so small. If you, if you did, you, your response would be you re, you'd repent. You'd repent of trying to run your life instead of letting God run your life. And you'd say, God, I've been wrong. I don't know better. You know better. Yeah. What, about, what about you if you're a Christian? You know, Job was frustrated that his expectations for how he thought the world should be run and his life should go are being dashed. And he was confused. He was confused about who, he's, who he was. But here's the question. Do Job's expectations actually run the world? No. God runs the world. So let me ask you this. Do you forget who runs the world like Job? You forget that it's God that runs the world? A lot of times we could f- trace our frustrations back to a forgetting of who we are and who God is. We, we're only, we only start trying to run the world when we forget that God is actually running the world and He can do just a good job on His own. So let me ask you this. Just a couple questions about you know, who, who you are. Do your limitations bother you? When you come up to something that you can't figure out, that you can't do, that you don't know how to do, that you haven't been given the talent to do, that do you get upset? The, the reality is, is the only reason you would get upset is if you forgot God gave you those limitations, that God knows how the world's going to be run, that it's fine if, you know, I can't sing like Tim Kaysen. That's fine. You know, God made me, God knows better. Um, I'll give you an example. We just had a small group uh, Thursday. And I don't, I don't feel very comfortable, honestly, running a small group as I do doing other things. You know, I don't feel like it's hard. I feel like it's hard. And so you, what's my options? I could get mad that it didn't go as well as I hoped or that I'm not able to do things all just the way I want to be able to do them. Or I could just say, God, you're God. You've given me limitations. I cannot expect to be good at everything. Or I'm not a man. I can't foresee every possibility. I can't do everything perfectly. I'm a man. And that's okay. And if, I, if every single small group I ever do for the rest of my life is terrible, I can either be mad every time, or I could just say, God, I trust you. You made me. And you're, in, you're running the world. Maybe this is better. Maybe there's a reason. What about you, you know, if you have a routine? You've got, oh, this is the, how the day is going to go. I'm going to do this, and then my kids are going to do this, and I'm going to go here, and then I'm going to do that. When that routine gets interrupted, are you frustrated at God? Did, did God not get the memo that you know how your day is supposed to go? God is God. It's serious. I mean, in some ways it's scary. I, I feel scared about what my attitude actually is saying about God. Because what I'm saying is, I know better than God. Even if I don't say that, even if the thought doesn't enter my mind, when I have a plan, 
And when I think I know what's going to happen, and that's interrupted, and my, and my heart erupts in frustration, anger, or even anxiety, what I'm saying is, I can't trust God to run the world. I've got to run my own world. And that's not true. And you're not going to have peace like that. See, God here is actually giving Job comfort. And God wants to give you comfort. Maybe, maybe literally your life would be, a burden would be lifted off your back if you could accept interruptions in your routine and just say, God, I trust you. This wasn't what I thought, but you know. There's people who their life is a burden by these things. And it's just simple as God's God and you're not. Are you frustrated when people don't do things your way? Uh, you do it this way and this is all how it always supposed to go. And then somebody comes in and they do it the opposite way and everything's backwards and the dishes you know, get done this or that way. Does that bother you? It shouldn't. Because the reality is, is that God actually gave other people purposes too. And God actually lets other people uh, do things. And you're, you're not in control of every person. That's not your job. And we've just got to accept it. You are not in control of other people. And this is serious. I mean, it's so scary to think that, think about all the times when other people's behavior really bothers you. Maybe it weighs on your mind. Maybe you are just all the time thinking about this person. That, or maybe it's one of your kids that doesn't quite uh, follow what everybody else is doing. Maybe it's somebody else at work who, who doesn't do what you think they should be doing. What, what's your response? Is your response this frustration and this desperate attempt to get them to do what you want them to do? Or is your response a cry to God? God, I'm not in control of this person. I don't set boundaries for this person. But God, this person is making it difficult. And here, I'm going to tell you about it, God, and ask you, what, what do you want? That would be so different than you having this frustration in your heart and you're trying to control, desperately trying to control that person. You can't do it. It wasn't your purpose. You're not, your purpose is not to control everyone. But God is God and God can restrain someone. God can restrain this person at your work, this person, you know, that wherever they're, you're interacting with them in your, in your daily life. God can restrain them and He's able to run the world. It's not your job to tell everyone how to behave. Think about what a burden would be lifted off your back if you could accept God's in control and just start giving people over to God, giving actions over to God. I mean, some Sunday, everybody's kid's going to be the one screaming. And if it's not you this week, it's probably going to be you next week. What are your options? If in your heart, frustration and anger comes into your face and you are mad at your child and you're not it's pride in your heart right because we should not believe that every single time and every single day our kids are going to be the picture perfect and they're going to always do everything that we want them to do it's just not realistic basically what you're saying is i don't believe i'm a man everybody else here is a man they're parenting like a man and you know but I'm going to be a parent like God, and I'm going to be perfect, and nothing's going to go wrong. That's unrealistic. You've got to remember, you're a man. God gave you those limitations to cry out to Him. Your attitude and my attitude actually says something about God. I'll give you another example. Perfectionism. What is perfectionism? Generally, we're not calling someone a perfectionist if they just really want to do a good job, but when they don't, that's okay. We call someone a perfectionist when if they don't do a good job, if they don't do exactly the way they want to do it, they're mad. Or they're, maybe they're not mad, they're just totally depressed. What, what is that? It's a failure to remember that God is God and we're just men. You cannot expect to know everything. You cannot foresee the future. You cannot control every circumstance. And if you're living like you should, you're only going to be frustrated. You're only going to be sorrowful. You've got to admit, I'm a man. I'm not God. 
God is God. We don't want to live beyond our limits. God gave us our limits. You know, when you reach the edge of your limitation, you have an, op- you have an option. You can just be blind to it and just run, try and run past your limitations with just eyes closed. You can see it and try to live beyond it and be frustrated. Or you can see it and know that if God gave me this limitation, He's going to take care of whatever's on the other side. If I can't control it, I'm going to trust God to control it. If I don't know what's going to happen, I can trust that God does know. You know, the other thing about perfectionism that is a problem is if you have these limitations God's given given you and you're trying to go beyond them, you're robbing some other area of your life to try and do it. And so the people, we had a sister that was telling us that her perfectionism and keeping a clean house, she realized, meant she was neglecting her kids. And she felt like the Lord convicted her. And that's generally how these things work is that if we can't see that God has given us a limit, that you have to sleep and you have to eat, okay? God made you like that. If you can't accept those limits, you're going to rob some other area. So if, if work is the area you decide I'm going to be a perfectionist in, then you're, you're going to rob your relationship with God, your time with the Lord or time with your family to try and do it. Or... Generally, it's this some outward thing that people try and be perfect in. It's not inward things. I, I don't know that I've ever met someone that was a perfectionist and said, yeah, I, just, I get super down and super upset when I ever say a word that's uh, not filled with grace. It's not like that. People choose the outward things to be perfectionist in. So I'm going to be perfectionist in this and this outward thing. And what ends up being neglected is actually the things God thinks are important, the attitudes of the heart. So you're perfectionist outwardly and then your attitude is terrible. That's wrong. Right? You've got to end up just accepting God gave me limits. I can live with the limits because I can trust God. And so for you that might look different. Maybe for you that's you just trust God with the dust bunnies under your couch this week and open up your Bible and read your Bible and trust God. That's that's real. It, it's there might be somebody here who that is like nails on a chalkboard. It's serious. We've got to be able to trust God. Your best isn't perfect. You can't control everything. And when we start believing that we can, we run. We're always going to run into issues. That's another area. What about the area of openness? You know, if you can really accept that you're a creature and that you aren't going to always have it all figured out, then you can actually you know, come to people and to open up to them. And just to say, listen, I'm struggling with this. I, I, my attitude in this area has just been terrible, and I know I've been praying about it, and it just still seems like it's just lingering. But if you have an unrealistic expectation, if you really believe some lie that maybe you're supposed to be higher than you are, or, or that... You forget that God's God, that you don't have to always have it figured out. Then you you put up these barriers, you can't be open with people. And there's not help there. There's so much grace in your life if you can just be honest with people and just say, listen, I have been struggling with this for a long time and I I don't know what to do. Or, you know, whatever it is. Be open with people. If you, if you remember that you're just a man, that you don't have to run the world, then it's fine that you don't have it all figured out. Another area that this might apply to our life. If we remember that we're limited men and women, we're just so small, should we have an opinion on literally everything and know the best in every situation? You know, the answer is no. But the reality is, is that I find in my own heart that often in every area, especially of my own life, I'm forming this opinion of what's best when I need to just trust God. How much better would my life be if I didn't, you know, in every area think, well, the best thing would be this, best thing would be this. I need to just say sometimes, I don't know what's best, but God does. You know, maybe it's not necessarily that. Maybe it's the area of politics or whatever. There's people all the time, well, I could run the country, you know, I could, 
I could run the workplace better if if I was the boss. It would be things would be like this. Humility, realizing you're a man and you're not God, is just saying I don't I don't know that I could run the workplace any better. I don't know that I could run the country. I, I'm just going to trust God's in control. And instead of complaining or figuring the way I would do it, just pray. God help the president. Have mercy on the country. Help my boss. Lord, he's just a man. Would you help him to run the workplace well? That's a big difference. Humility in a lot of cases is just saying, I don't know. And maybe that's for you, that's a trial right now that you're going through, just saying, I don't know what God's doing here. I don't know what it is, but there's, there's things in our lives that we should be saying that, just saying, God, I know that I don't know, but I'm going to trust you that you do know. Does it bother you not to know something, not to know an answer? Does it bother you that you make mistakes? Are you? I'll give you another one. What about limited in our purpose? Sometimes we're trying to go beyond our purpose, and we feel like it's our job to encourage everyone. It's our job to have a word for everyone. But it's not. It's not your job. Every person you meet is not necessarily someone that you're supposed to help because you're just limited. God may have someone else. You may just meet someone, you hear a burden, you have no idea what to say, and you just tell them, I'm going to pray for you. And that's it. You, you, don't, you can't give them advice necessarily on how to fix their life. You just say, I, I feel your pain, and I'm just going to pray for you. We've got to realize that we have a limited purpose, but we have an infinite God that knows. And God is the one that's taking care of everyone. You meet a person that you can't help, you don't, you don't even know what to say, give them to God. So what's the conclusion here of all this? It's God's job to run the world, and it's just our job just to trust Him. God is the one that's supposed to run the world. Do not waste your time fretting about how to run the world, because it's not your job. But here's what you need to believe. And here's what I need to believe. God knows what He's doing in your situation. God knows. We, we start to get this idea that, oh, look at all these circumstances, like God doesn't really know. God actually knows. God knows your situation and my situation better than we do. And if we really believe that when we walk into a situation, God knows best, comfort floods, right? Oh, there's a God who knows. There's no hope. It's not going to be hope in me figuring it out. But there is hope in the God who does know. Okay, what else? The fact that you don't know something is only going to frustrate you if you can't trust the God who does know. If If you get it in your mind that God knows when you don't, you can suddenly give those things to God and trust Him. We could say it for all the other things, you know. If there's something you can't do, trust. it's only going to frustrate you if you can trust the God who can do it. You can't, you can't make your kid do this thing that you want them to do. You can't make these people at your work do the things you want them to do. It's only going to bother you if you forget, well, God could if he wanted to. If, if that was what's best, God can restrain. God can help give grace in this situation and give it to God. The fact that you can't control someone or something is only going to frustrate you if you forget God is in control. Same for foreseeing the future. The fact that you can't foresee the future, you're only going to continually worry and try and figure it out and try and control it if you forget God does see the future and I can trust Him. What else? Let's think about this as the last thing. Think about what this says about the God who we come to in suffering. Okay, so Job had this trial. He's crying out to God. What do we learn about God? Well, we learn that God hears. That God hears. And He knows what's going on. And that God answers. It's not like God didn't hear all Job's difficulties, didn't understand it. He did. 
And it's very encouraging to me that God actually answered Job even though he, he was wrong in some of his thoughts. And he helped to correct those. So when we're going through trials, we can come to God. Don't believe that you can't come to God. Because He's an infinite God doesn't mean we can't come to Him. Look what happened here. He cried out and God answered. But we must not forget that we're coming to an infinite God. So yes, God wants to hear what you are feeling and wants to hear your thoughts and wants to hear you cry out to Him in trials. But do not expect Him to always answer the way you think because He's an infinite God. Does that make sense? Don't believe that God doesn't want to hear you. But don't believe that God's always going to do what you want Him to do. You've got to remember there's, a, there's this infinite God that you can come to who feels and who knows. And the problem is sometimes we only want one side of that. So I'll give you an example. We want a God who knows exactly what we feel, but we don't want a God who knows what's, what's the best for us better than we do, right? So you want this God who knows all about your situation, but then when that God says, yeah, but I actually even know better than you what's best for you, you're like, oh, I don't want that. I just want you to hear what I'm saying and and sympathize with me, and I don't want you to defy my expectations. I want you to do what I want. But we're not coming to a God like that. We're coming to this infinite God. I'll give you another example. We want a God who's powerful enough to change our circumstances. But we don't want a God who's so powerful that He can work good in suffering. Do you see the difference? You want this all-powerful God to cry out to. But the answer that you really don't want is, I'm going to leave you where you are and get you through it. And to work it for good. See, we're coming to an infinite God. In summary, let's just say this. We've got to remember every day, whether, whether we're going through a trial like Job or whether we get stuck in traffic, whatever it is, we've got to remember every day, I'm just a man and I'm going to let God be God. Let's pray. Lord, we are so small and this is, it's like, it's unbelievable that we're even trying to come there and talk to you, talk about you and talk to you and pray to you and you're such a good God. Thank you for being so patient with us. Thank you for teaching us and just bringing us on. Lord, I pray that this would meet needs. I pray you'd work this in my own heart. I don't want to be a hypocrite, Lord. I want to believe that you're good and in control in every situation, not let the smallest opportunity to trust you go to waste. Lord, we need you. We love you. Help us keep this in our mind. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe we could sing that uh, song, We Are a Moment, You Are Forever.